Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Weekend Warriors, the foreign affairs podcast that asks... What else is happening in the world? I'm Messy Cup. So a week after two tankers were attacked in the Gulf of Oman, attacks which the Trump administration blames on Iran, well, Iran has shot down a U.S. military drone over the Strait of Hormuz. Iran says it was a U.S. spy drone flying over their airspace. The Pentagon today said that's categorically false. It was an unprovoked attack and that it was over international waters. Those are big differences in both uh, stories here. So what the heck is going on? Well, after the attack, the head of the Revolutionary Guard Corps in Iran said this was a clear message to America, stating Iran does not want war with any country, but we are completely and totally ready and prepared for war. Yikes. All right, before the drone was downed, Iran commented, on the U.S. video evidence allegedly showing those Iranian boats involved in last week's tanker incident. Iran continues to deny responsibility for that attack, calls America's claim a cowardly accusation. All right, if there's a central theme in the ongoing confrontation between Iran and the United States, it's bluffs and mixed messages from both sides. Case in point, the drone shooting was preceded by Iran's threat to surpass uranium enrichment limits set by that 2015 nuclear deal that the U.S. withdrew from. At the same time that they're moving to dismantle that deal, Iran's leadership demands that European nations work with them to uphold the remnants of the deal. The same inconsistency is happening on our side, too. You have hardline talk from the Trump administration. Thursday morning, the president vaguely tweeted, Iran made a very big mistake. And when asked if the U.S. is going to war with Iran, he said, we'll soon find out. And yet he told Sean Hannity this about the Iran tensions. He said, don't worry about a thing. Everything's under control. Now you have Secretary of State Mike Pompeo reportedly warning that any attack by Tehran or its proxies that results in even one American fatality will result in a counterattack. In line with that, President Trump deployed a thousand more U.S. troops to the Middle East. But on the other hand, Trump continues to dismiss the idea of regime change and war and kind of poo-pooed the tanker attacks as very minor. So what is the world to make of all these cross signals, competing strategies as tensions rise? Are we at war with Iran? Here to discuss CNN national security analyst, my friend Sam Vinograd, Sam, what is going on? What did you make of yet another day of sort of explosive news out of Iran? Well, none of this really surprises me either on the Iranian side or on the American side. On the Iranian side, let's not forget that Iran has presented myriad misbehaviors for decades, right? This is Mm. nothing new. They're firing on all cylinders 
with respect to the threats that they pose. We have conventional attacks in the Gulf. We have rockets flying to Saudi Arabia, and we don't even know what they're doing in cyberspace, which is another area where they presented risks. Iran is trying to engage in their own maximum pressure campaign to get the Europeans to ease up on sanctions. So they're doing what they always do, which is try to wreak havoc. The difference under this administration is Trump's making stuff worse, right? Instead of taking a step back and strategically deciding what's in the best long-term interest of our country, he's sending off tweets and using talking points that probably haven't been scrubbed by the intelligence community, don't track with what his team is saying, and continue to escalate the situation. That's par for the course for him, just like it's par for, cor- par for the course for the Iranians to engage in illegal activity. We have two irresponsible actors with that are taking potentially fatal risks that could impact our national security. I mean, my, my you know, long, long knowledge of, of, of foreign, foreign policy has always been, look, you don't, you don't mess with Iran. You don't bluff with Iran. You don't goad them into war. Um, is, that, is that right? Is Trump, is Trump sort of um, crossing, crossing a line that other administrations have really been very careful to not cross? Well, Trump has blurred lines instead of red lines. I mean, you think about when he was on the campaign. He campaigned against the Iran nuclear deal. Okay. Then he withdrew from the Iran nuclear deal. Okay. And then Secretary of State Pompeo really laid out this 12-step plan, the 12 steps Iran had to take before we came back to the negotiating table at all. So the red lines became 12 different things. Fast forward until today, and now all of a sudden, we're back to Trump just wanting to talk about nuclear weapons. And so it's hard to keep track of what the administration actually wants. Right. From Iran, and what's it going to take to sit down at the table? And I worked on Iran policy under Obama for four years, and it's important to very clearly communicate mm. what we're after. And our strategy under Obama was, yes, Iran is engaged in a lot of really bad things. Let's take the nuclear threat off the table. Yeah. The JCPOA was not a panacea. It wasn't going to make Iran, you know, a responsible global steward. It was to stabilize the nuclear threat that we could deal with all this other stuff. And what Trump has done, he's reintroduced the nuclear threat. Well, we have all this other really bad stuff going on. And now my fear is Trump's playing a game of whack-a-mole. We're sending troops to the region yeah. because Iran is escalating their threats. And there's no there's no pause button, Etsy. There's no mm. off-ramp for either side right now to take a deep breath, call a truce, call a pause, mm. and attack some of these threat streams one by one. Well, and you talk about it being important to be as clear as possible with Iran when you do communicate. I, I can't think of anything less clear than Trump tweeting, Iran made a very big mistake, uh, saying, when asked if we'll go to war, we'll soon find out, and then saying this drone attack was probably unintentional, probably by somebody <laughs> loose. For it, yeah, right? <laughs> some, somebody loose and stupid, he said. Um it sounds a little bit like projection. Sorry, I just had to say that. <laughs> sure. but, um, no, but I mean, it's, it, it's, it's not loose in that to shoot down an American surveillance asset takes planning, it takes work with a surface-to-air missile, and the Iranians took ownership of it. And Trump's tweet making these threats, you know, if he just took a second and scrubbed this with, an, with the intelligence community, they would tell him that these tweets actually help the hardliners in Iran. Right? Yeah. Like, Trump's threatening to go to war with Iran with these vague threats 
really helps inspire more attacks against the United States. So they're the wrong thing to be doing right now. Mm. The real question is, are there any private communications happening? I mean, we had a private channel through the Omanis right. that helped us with the Iran deal. Who's the private messenger right now? We know that uh, Emmanuel Macron is going to Tehran to try to de-escalate things. But what are we telling the Iranians privately? I don't put any, I don't think Trump's tweets hold any water, mm. especially because he did similar things when it came to North Korea. Remember that? Remember fire and fury? Yeah. And all of that rhetoric and look at where we are now. So let's talk about where we're going. National Security Advisor John Bolton is going to meet with um, his Russian and Israeli counterparts uh, next week. And Iran will be part of that discussion. What would you expect to come of those meetings? Well, on the Russian side, I think the Russians will try to position themselves as interlocutors. I mean, Putin does this all around the world. He's offered to mediate on North Korea. He's offered to yeah. mediate on Syria. Syria. He'll right. probably do that. Probably do that on Iran, even though we all know he's not an unbiased interlocutor mm-hmm. in any way. But you know, I think that John Bolton could try to communicate to the Russians what President Trump is prepared to do if Iran keeps this up. The real question, though, is credibility. Do the Iranians actually believe? that Trump means what he says when it comes to Iran. Is Bolton willing to actually share any information on any kind of military response that Trump is thinking? And then is Trump going to actually, you know, undercut that by tweet hours, hours after? When it comes to Israel, you know, Israel, Israel has very strong views on Iran. You know, yeah. I uh, spent a lot of time briefing with the Israelis. They disagreed with their approach on Iran. And I would imagine the Israelis will share extensive intelligence with John Bolton with respect to how they see hmm. the Iranian threat streams. They have really good intel, whether it be on the nuclear program or conventional risks. Hmm. So I would expect them to share information. I think the biggest challenge is going to be mirroring whatever John Bolton says in private with what Trump says in public. Right. Um, I want to ask you about the Saudis for a second. Um, I wonder if you think the Saudis are maybe privately goading the U.S. into conflict with Iran behind the scenes. One of the reasons we're, we're, we're you know, quote-unquote partners with the Saudis is because um, they're sort of a, a buffer uh, with, with Iran. Um, what, do you, what do you think of that? What do you think is happening behind closed doors between the Saudis and us? Well, I don't know that we need that much goading when you think about, you know, how vocal Trump has been with respect to military response against Iran, who the national security advisor is. And you look, Saudi's in a different position. Saudi, like Israel, is in direct range of Iranian rockets, whether by proxy or otherwise. Yeah. And we see rocket attacks by Iranian proxies into Saudi Arabia. So their concerns are very real. I think that Mohammed um, bin Salman and the king of Saudi Arabia and Trump agree on all of this, as does Netanyahu. Behind the scenes, I would imagine as well that they're sharing even more extensive intelligence about what Iran is up to. I don't think... That, uh, that the Saudis really want war because of the massive cost that it would impose on the region. So I think they may, you know, they may err more towards a stronger response. But war with Iran is a serious business. You know, yeah. Tom Clinton going out and saying, we need a military response, and Senator Graham saying that, like, Iran is a very populous country. Mm-hmm. What exactly are they striking? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Iran has a lot of rockets of their own. What would a counter response from the Iranians look like? You know, it's not like you're going and, and uh, bombing Myanmar. Mm-hmm. It's a heavily armed country with a lot of people and proxies around the region. So I don't, I don't think that anyone is itching for war. I think that the Saudis and the Israelis may see a military strike 
as a better option than you know people that are further away from it based upon their proximity to uh, to, to Iran. So Iran is saying it's going to breach uh, breach the nuclear deal. What mm-hmm. I mean, what does what what do we do about that? Because we're not in it anymore. We're not, and you know it's interesting. We I'd like to think that we're a more reliable actor than the Iranians are with respect to keeping our word. We obviously violated the deal. But it is important to remember that even though we violated the, the deal, Iran violating the deal means that they're breaking international law. Mm-hmm. Nothing about their nuclear program, aside from um, civilian nuclear programs, which are encompassed in the deal, is legal. <laughs> so when they when they um, breach the threshold of enriched uranium in countries, they're violating international law. And so the response should be uh, should be something we would coordinate with allies. You know, the Europeans have a big decision to make. If Iran breaches the deal and breaks international law again, will the Europeans reimpose sanctions that they lifted as part of the nuclear deal? That's a big question for me. Right now, they have not mirrored our sanctions, um, re- reimposition of sanctions, because Iran's kept their JCPOA commitment. So what I would be doing if I were in the sit room would be talking to Macron, Theresa May, and others to say, hey, if they break the law, they have to be punished. No matter why we got here, they're still breaking the law. That would be that would be number one. But then I'm going to come back to the kind of presidential pause button option. What are we doing to slow this, to stop this escalatory cycle? If they're going to breach their commitments, what are we saying behind the scenes to just focus, let's say, on the nuclear agenda? Are we sitting down with them and saying, okay, we're going to deal with all this other stuff, but what is it going to take for you to keep your JCPOA commitments in international law and trying to work on things piece by piece? You know, Trump has had this go big or go home approach to international agreements, whether it's Iran or the China trade deal or arms control. And he's going home empty handed. Right. Like he hasn't gotten a bigger Anything. and better deal yeah. with Iran. Yeah, he's gotten no deal. He hasn't gotten a trade deal with China. So maybe he should take a, a lesson from Barack Obama and not bite off more than he can chew and focus on the nuclear file in the first instance while working with the international community on all these other issues um, piece by piece. Why would our European allies care what we think about this, frankly? You know, we left the deal. We kind of left them holding the bag and being responsible for for this. Whatever you think of that that move, whether you were for yeah. leaving the deal or staying in the deal, this is where we are. Why would they care what we what we think, what we want them to do? Well, I think two reasons. One is just really financial. I mean, right now, we have said that if the Europeans continue to buy Iranian oil, they will be subject to our sanctions. We have secondary sanctions in place that mm-hmm. applies to oil. And then we've also sanctioned Iran's two other largest exports, metals and their largest petrochemical company. So the Europeans have a financial interest in seeing this resolved so that their um, trade with Iran is not impacted. And regardless of the fact that we left a deal, I think that getting the Iranians to negotiate on nuclear issues is at some point going to have to involve the United States, not only because the United States is part of the U.N. Security Council. So if we got some kind of new deal and enshrine that in a U.N. Security Council resolution like we did with the first one, that would need the United States, too. And somewhere deep down, as he maybe I'm an optimist, I still like to think regardless of how much we've destroyed our credibility so far, the world still thinks that we're a global leader Mm -hmm. um, and that maybe the election in 2020 is going to change something around, but that we 
still need to be a party to major agreements. So for those three reasons, mm. I still think they care. But I do think one of the biggest drivers right now is, again, the financial considerations related to our sanctions. Sam Vinograd, thanks as always so much for joining me um, and lending all your expertise on what is a very complicated issue with lots of actors and changing news up to the minute, (laughs) as you know. Thank you. I appreciate it. Indeed. Thanks so much for having me. All right. And thanks for joining me on this installment of Weekend Warriors. We'll see you next time. I'm Essie Cup. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.